gather this day to say thank you for the Old Testament and the record that's there and uh, that we can keep going back and verifying it's really there. It was really written. And uh, we want to learn uh, from um, that season where you are caring for men and their needs and their families uh, just as you care for us. So teach us, Lord, out of this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last podcast that was laid out uh, a couple weeks ago was the podcast that detailed the crisis that arose between the elders of the people of Israel and Samuel, who was God's prophet. <clears throat> the, uh, the former, the, the elders had had it with the judges' system in, in Israel. Um, and so they gathered themselves together and they, come up, they came up the hill, gathered you know, from all over the land to Ramah, and they came to confront Samuel. And uh, there were three things they said. Samuel, you're old. That's not a disqualification. I'll hold my hand up and say, I'm not disqualified. <laughs> uh, second, um, they said, your sons are not walking in your ways. They, uh, they've been named as judges in Israel, but they were um, seduced, if you will, by the dollars on the table, the shekels, the pazuzas, the zlotis, or whatever, whatever the currency was, or the, the pathways to power that uh, came and they perverted justice and the, um, the elders in Israel said enough of that and lastly they came to Samuel and said now appoint us a king, we'll rule over us to judge our problems and lead us out to battle just like all the other nations well who were those other nations so to the west you've got the Philistines they're on the coast to the northeast you've got Syria to the east you've got Ammon and Moab that are right across the Jordan and to the south and the southeast, you've got the Amalekites, the, the, the camel-riding desert raiders. And uh, <clears throat> those all had kings or some other form of authoritarian leadership. 400 years before that, the Lord God exhibited his omniscience by recognizing when the people came into the land, they would desire a king. And so in Deuteronomy 17, God himself lays out the parameters for how such a king is to lead and live in Israel. In the gathering of the elders at Ramah, uh, they came, they, they, there was no point in their, in their coming to, to uh, inquire of the Lord or inquire of God's prophet. They walked right over that. Um, and their demand for a king to lead them was a flat disposal of Yahweh and his prophet Samuel. As in, you're done. Nevertheless, the Lord has instructed Samuel to listen to the people and give them a king. So today we're going to plunge through those four chapters. If, you've, if you uh, need an Old Testament document, I have one. Anybody short? It's here, if you need it. All right. Um, we're introduced in chapter 9 to a Benjamin, uh, Benjamite. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. His name was Kish. He was a mighty man, he had influence, he had some wealth, but he was in one of the smaller, smallest families in the tribe of Benjamin. And in his portfolio, he had some mobile livestock, and a slice of his portfolio went missing. He, his donkeys walked off and disappeared. Now, we would perceive donkeys as beasts of burden. You load them up and you walk them down the trail. But in that culture, beasts, they weren't beasts of burden. They carried kings and authorities on their back. 
men didn't raise horses at that time in Israel. And so he had lost a chunk of his portfolio, and they were, they were really worth something. So he dispatches his son, Saul, and his servant to go run down those donkeys and get them back home. <clears throat> so those two guys, they, they drift through, they jog through, they're looking left and right and under the bushes and over this ridge. They go through five regions of the, of the territory of Benjamin, and... Um, they haven't found those donkeys, and they find themselves in the territory called Zuf, which is up next to Rama, where Samuel lives. And they realize they're three days into this, and now Kish is no longer concerned about the donkeys. He's concerned about his son, Saul. And in that process, the servant says, hey, you know what? There's a seer who lives in Rama, and we should go and inquire of him, where are the donkeys? Why can't we find them? So they rifle through their pockets and come up with one quarter shekel of silver. Okay? That's about 16 cents worth. Now, mind you, the people of God didn't pay for the input they got from the, the prophet of God. But it was customary when you came to anyone in authority to come with something in your hand to give. So it wasn't much, but it said, I understand the principle here, so here's a little bit of, a, a little bit of silver. Okay? Now, it's important to see here the irony that the Lord has in place here about choosing a man who could fulfill the people's demand for a king. This approach here is illogical. Lost donkeys move two men across the map to an encounter with a seer. Okay? Now, not all seers are prophets and not all prophets are seers, but Samuel was both. All right? And God had... Uh, God had already notified him, notified him what's going to happen. He need to, need to hit the rewind button, the back. And God has already told him the day before that someone was going to come from the tribe of Benjamin, present himself in Ramah, and he was the one that God had chosen to lead the people. And so Samuel went, fine, he's coming. So on the day of arrival, Saul and his servant walk up to Ramah, get into town. They look for the old dude in the crowd because... You know, they understood he was an old man. So they, they asked for, where do we find the seer? And Samuel says, that's me. And oh, by the way, your donkeys have been found. That, that part, you check that box right there. Donkeys are found. And by the way, Saul, you have a destiny to be the one that will um, be the, the, um, the desire of all Israel. Now, the word for desire also can mean um, deep, illicit cravings. Okay, so here, here's the here's some more irony. Here's you, know, you catch this you know, the the wording that Samuel uses, which nobody else seems to get. Okay, is that God's going to walk through this process, but He's not happy about it. All right. So um, <clears throat> um, the the word over the the. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin. When Jacob was dying in Egypt, in Egypt, he calls all his sons in, all the 12 sons, and he goes down the line, Naphtali and this and this and this and this. He gets to, he gets to Benjamin. And the word over Benjamin is, you guys are going to be like wolves, not like kings. See, the king, the king anointing went to Jacob, to a, excuse me, the king anointing went to Judah. Thank you, it's one of those J words. He went to Judah. 
Okay, not to a ben, and here, but here's a Benjamite who comes to town, and the Lord has already spoken in the ear of the prophet that uh, this is what's coming. So there's two questions here. <clears throat> what's God doing? <laughs> and why did he choose a Benjamite? So then you flash back to the arrival of these two men sent by Kish into the streets of Ramah. They, they walk up to the oldest guy, and they introduce him. He says, fine, got your donkeys taken care of. You're going to be the desire of Israel. And, and Saul's response is, look, I'm, I'm, I'm the, in the smallest tribe, and I am of the least family. And uh, Samuel doesn't listen to him. He turns, links arms with him, and they walk up this, to the high place where been a, there will be a sacrifice then. Samuel was going to be there to oversee that. And then there will be a ceremonial meal. There's a whole side thing on that because at one time God said, you, you sacrifice like that and you have meals like that in the place that I choose, where I dwell. Well, that wasn't Rama, but they did it anyway all over the land. Okay? So that day they were having a sacrifice and a sacrificial meal, and here comes Saul, and here comes his servant, and they're brought in and seated at the high table in the, in the guests of honor, and Saul is served the choicest meats taken from that sacrificed animal. Saul is totally bewildered. He doesn't, he can't, like, this never happened to anybody in my family, and what about me? Okay, the text says that Saul and Samuel came down from the city, and they talked. And they talked on the rooftop. Now, in Israel, in the hot season, nobody wanted to be indoors. It was an oven inside the, 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 the clay and the stone dwellings that they had made for themselves. So they talked on a rooftop, and they slept on the rooftop because there was, there was a breeze, there was fresh air, and they could talk upstairs because there was privacy. In the house, you whispered and everybody in the house heard what was going on. They spend the night. The next morning at dawn, sun is just cracking the, the, the top of the hills to the east. And they're up and on the street. And Samuel says to, his, to Saul, send your servant ahead. And he, again, he's walking Saul down the street to get to the edge of town. He pulls out a vial of oil and he anoints Saul as king over Israel. If he wasn't, if he was befuddled before, now he's his head is spinning. Okay. Now it's interesting that term, the anointed one, is it comes from the word Mashiach. Okay, and he is going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the 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 one who leads the people to salvation, if you will. At least he starts out that way. And then Samuel follows up and says, okay, this is what you're going to have happen to you today. There's four things that happen, and they're going to confirm this anointing. You're going you're to start toward home, and you're going to run into two guys that already know your donkeys have been found, but your daddy's worried. Second, they run into three, uh, excuse me, three men. One has three loaves of bread, one has three goats, and one has a skin of wine. And they're going up the hill to this, the great tree of Tabor. Whatever that is. Okay? I, could find, I couldn't find any references to it. It's highly likely this was not a godly worship place. It was probably the old Canaan peeking its, its head again at that, at that tree, under that tree. Nevertheless, these men are walking past Saul, and one of the men hands Saul two loaves of bread, and Saul's supposed to receive those. Thirdly, he's, as he comes into his, his home grounds, He's met by a troop of prophets who are 
are prophesying and they're playing uh, numerous musical instruments. And lastly, the fourth thing is, when you get to those prophets, you will prophesy with them. Then Samuel says, okay, now you go down to Gilgal, we're going to have some sacrifices, there's going to be national recognition and a coronation. Saul doesn't do that. Okay, he heads for home. Okay, but it says as he turned from Samuel there in the street, God changed his heart. Literally, it says, for him, another heart. The signs that Samuel promised came to pass, but when he bumps into these prophets, uh, the hand of God comes on him in a mighty way, and he begins to prophesy with the prophets. Now, this astounded the people who are watching because they know Saul, and they know the prophets, and the way Saul has been living doesn't look anything like a prophet. And there's a, there's a voice that comes up in the crowd and says, now, who is their father? Now, the leaders of the various schools of the prophets, and there were multiple schools of prophets around the nation. In this case, the father, they were called fathers. And in five other places of scripture, that, that, that's true. You just have to go trace it through and find out about schools of prophets, and there's, they're called fathers. In this case, Samuel was the father. Like it or not, I'm a father here. Why aren't you prophesying? Okay, no. Um, so then Saul leaves, encounters his uncle, and his uncle says, where have you been? And what did Samuel have to say to you? Because apparently the, he passed the servant on the way through. And uh, Samuel answers that uh, he was chasing the donkeys, and then he got to Samuel, and Samuel told him that the donkeys had, were, had been found. And he stops. He told the truth, but not all the truth. There were other things that Samuel had said that were uh, of critical importance, but he holds those close to his heart. Doesn't say it to his uncle. Then Samuel calls all the tribes to Mizpah, back up on the ridge, back up on a high place just north of Jerusalem. And all the tribes come and they gather. And he, and he reminds them of the words of the Lord in chapter 10, verse 18, where he says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt. I did delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you've said, nah, set aside, a, you know, set a king up for us, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So do you remember the last time that that happened? It's only once in Scripture when God said, line up in tribes and then you divide yourself out into clans. Got it. Okay, so Battle of Jericho. They walk around for seven days, seventh day, they blow the trumpets. They drive you seven times on the seventh day, blow the trumpets, and the walls fall in. And the warriors are able to just walk straight ahead into the city and finish the job. But on the way in, the Lord said, don't you touch anything. Don't you take anything. Everything in the city that's of any, that you might want for yourself is under the ban. Because everything in that city had been part of the dedication of their lives to the worship of the false Canaanite deviant gods. But this man Achan sees silver bars and gold bars and a shining garment, a shining cloth 
from Babylon, from Shinar. And he looks left and he looks right and he goes into, under his clothes. He goes back to his tent and buries it. And uh, nobody knows. But then the people go out to fight at Ai, the next conquest, and they lose. They lose hundreds and hundreds. And they come back and the Lord says, here's the reason. Somebody broke the band. So line up your people by tribes and by clans. So here's what God does. He lines them up by tribes and clans. And in the case of Samuel, he goes through and the, and the lot falls to the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, which, ha, which has to, if anybody's paying attention, they would have gone, Benjamin. Then the clans are all sorted out, resulting in the Matrite family. Then Kish steps forward and it's not Kish. And then his sons step forward and it's not any of his sons. And where's Saul? He's not present. And the Lord speaks in Samuel's ear and says, Saul is hiding with the livestock, the carts, and the baggage. And they send for him, bring him in, introduce him, walk him into the midst. And Samuel says, See who the Lord has chosen? For surely there is no one like him among all the people. And the reason was Saul stood head and shoulders taller than any other man in the nation. All right, let's pause here and zoom out. You know, we need, we need some God's eye elevation on this thing. Where else in Scripture was, was a, a man sought through a family and all the brothers had to pass through? Okay, and Samuel kind of goes, oh, the first one here. He's tall, he's brawny, he's bearded. Surely this one. This one is the one that God has called to lead Israel. And the Lord says, nope. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Who was it they were looking for? David. Where did they find him? With the sheep. They had to, they had to hunt for him. He had taken the sheep out. They had to go get him, bring him back, and then he was anointed there. Okay? So zoom back in. All right? And, and you know, here, Saul is likewise missing. Okay? And when he's presented, he's introduced with the first... Of, of, of that phrase. And, the, and it was something like this. Man looks on the outward appearance. Period. Saul was pleasing to the people's eyes. And the multitude responds, May the king live. Or in proper Brit form, God save the king. Okay. Then Samuel told the gathered tribes the ordinances of the kingdom. So he, he goes right back to Leviticus 17 and he writes down, he speaks it out, this is the king that God has for you. This is how he's to walk in your midst. This is what's, what he's supposed to do and what he's not supposed to do. He writes it down in a book and he places it before the Lord. Right here. Okay? There are scholars and writers who deny that Samuel ever lived or that he ever wrote a thing. And he was a myth. Right here, he's present and he writes it down. Surprise. Okay? And then, having done all of that, Samuel sends all of Israel to their homes, and Saul returns to Gibeah. Now, note that a band of valiant men leave with him, because God has touched their hearts, and they're going to be the foundation of his mighty men who lead his armies. So in the backwash of departing Mizpah, as people head for home, there's some grumbling in the background, and, and the voices are raised by, quote, worthless men, unquote. Same word was used by Samuel's mother, you know, remember, she's, she is 
crying out because she's barren and she's taken significant emotional punishment uh, from the second wife, Panina. And she goes up, to, goes up to the tabernacle, and there's Eli. And Eli sees her speaking out her heart, praying out of her heart, moving her lips, not making a sound. And he says, woman, get off the wine bottle. You know, get your drunk. And she says, no, I am not. I am not a worthless woman. Same word, okay? That word means base, scoundrel, wicked, ungodly. This is how they labeled these guys that had, they were having nothing to do with Saul as king. They did not believe he could lead the armies to overcome the Philistines. Okay? And they had uh, they'd questioned that, that Saul was really the man, and then they despised him and didn't offer him any kind of gift. But Saul had nothing to say to that. He just kept his mouth shut. Now there arises the first national test of spine. Okay? And under Saul's leadership. Chapter 12 says that an Ammonite named Nahash... A name means serpent. Okay, he comes down from the highlands where the Ammonites had their main forces, and he lays siege to the town of Jabesh Gilead. And this this is a, a, a town, a village that is, is on the eastern side of the Jordan River, at the base of the foothills. It was a prime grazing area for for sheep and goats, and it was part of the the territory from Manasseh. Uh, and uh, the Ammonites come, they surround the time, they lay at siege, and the residents try to cut a deal with Nahash. Now, they said, we'll, we'll be your servants if you make a covenant with us. The problem is they are already in covenant with Yahweh, which has slipped their mind. Okay, And Nahash says, sure, I'll cut a covenant with you if I can gouge out the right eye of every inhabitant in town. So he's a piece of work. Okay? Then the town elders go and they plead with him and say, give us seven days and we'll see if anybody comes to rescue us. Well, Nahash is pretty convinced that that ain't going to happen. So he just settles down, starts the kettle boiling. He, he's going to be in residence for at least a week. Okay? But the runners slip out the back door somehow and they carry the news of this to the other tribes in Israel. When it gets to Gibeah, Saul is out plowing, and he gets back from his job, and the Benjamites are weeping, and then the messenger comes and says, the people in Jabesh Gilead are under siege, and here's the deal that was offered to them, etc. At that moment, the hand of the Lord comes on him in a mighty way, and he is monumentally angry. He's, he's just incandescent. So he turns, slaughters the, the pair of oxen. It's just no small thing for a farmer. Okay? He slaughters the oxen, chops them up in pieces, and sends the message out to a 12 tribes, 11 tribes other than Benjamin, and says, are you with me and Samuel? Because if you're not, this is what your oxen are going to look like. And at that moment it says that the, the dread of the Lord came upon all Israel. The terror, the great deep fear of the Lord. But they responded and they sent 300,000 fighting men to Saul. <clears throat> and Saul musters his army in a town called Bezek. It's a great, great town. It means lightning strike. You want to name a child? You know, there you go. 
lightning strike. It's also a prophetic place, in my opinion. Okay, it's 18 miles south of Jabesh Gilead in the in the in the Jordan Valley, and word is sent, you know, carefully, in, in secret way to the besieged town that says, "Help is on the way. Be here tomorrow." And and I believe also because of the way the text. Uh, unfolds here that they were told to tell Nahash, look, if nobody comes by tomorrow, we're going to open the gates, we're going to come out, we're going to kneel down, we're going to be your servants. So Nahash kind of goes, don't see anything coming, goes to, goes to bed for the night. Saul quick marches his troops 18 miles overnight, arrives in the pre-dawn, it's called the morning watch, okay, before the sun is even, before it's even gray in the, in, the, uh, in the east. And he divides his forces into three sub-armies, 100,000 warriors apiece, and they attack simultaneously from three directions. The Ammonites are ripped from their sleep, and they're desperately trying to grab a sword and their shorts at the same time, just in time for the warriors to go through the camp and cut them down. And this battle continues until the heat of the day, meaning oh, probably 11 o'clock, when, it, when the heat has really settled in. And it says in the text that only a handful, here and there, single Ammonites, were able to slip through and escape. So it is a convincing crushing of this particular enemy. At that moment of victory, it was remembered that there were those worthless men, the detractors to Saul, being uh, named king. And there's a demand that goes through 300,000 people saying, find those guys, bring them in here, and we're going to chop them right there. Saul's response is, no executions today because the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. <clears throat> then Samuel raises his voice. Now, I, you realize here too, Samuel's an old guy, but he could keep up. He's been able, he's been able to track the army, go to the mustering place, travel overnight with the army and he's present at the end of the battle. Samuel raises his voice and says, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there and all the people, mark, they've marched all night, now they're going to march all day south to the south, down the Jordan banks and then arrive at Gilgal the site where Israel first entered the land. Okay, they come up out of Egypt, they swung around Moab and Ammon and they arrive at the flood stage Jordan <clears throat> and put the Levites with the covenant of the, the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders through the loop and pole system, and when their feet touch the water, the Jordan rolls back and there's dry land for them to walk across into the promised land, and two million follow them across into the land of Canaan. And then the, each tribe is sent back into the stream bed to pick up the biggest stone that a man could carry and bring it out and create a pile of memorial stones because they want their children to ask questions. Daddy, what does that pile mean? That pile says, here's where God did a miracle to bring us out of the desert out of, uh, and into the promised land. In that place, Samuel arrives with the crowd. They offer sacrifices of peace offerings and before the Lord, and there Saul was made king. All of Israel is rejoicing. All right, Forge, you've got four chapters of narrative. <laughs> and I, and I want to hear in, in our discussions to follow if there are things here that you go, oh, what about that? Or I, what is this that I see? What is this that the Spirit has prompted me in? But I want to add a couple extra little insights of my own. Uh, God will let you have your own way for a season with warnings, 
with stated consequences, and then he steps back and waits. And I've lived through that cycle personally, and I stand before you as one rescued from my own choices. So if God did that for me, he assuredly will do that for you and for yours. Secondly, uh, at least five generations before, more than 100 years, at the end of the period of Judges and prior to the birth of Samuel, the town of Gibeah was mentioned in Judges chapter 19. 19, 20, 21, some of the most deviant, awful, it's the darkest spot in the Old Testament. So I'm going to be careful how I state myself here. A Levite and his concubine are traveling north in Israel and sought lodging in the town of Gibeah. Uh, and it's within the, within the tribal area of the, the tribe of Benjamin. After dark, the men of Gibeah come to the house that they're lodging in, demanding that the Levite be sent out. This is a replay of Sodom. Okay, when the two strangers, the angels come into the house of Lot, and the, and the men of the city rise up, and they want to assault the angels. Okay, and, and so what, what does Lot do? He offers his daughters instead. Didn't happen because the angels took care of that problem. All right? Here, it's the concubine who is sent out the door, and she's assaulted to death. The next morning, the Levite finds this corpse, and, and to uh, deal with his rage, he sends his account of this and a piece of her body parts to every other tribe, to, to 11 tribes, and all the, all the tribes of Israel are appalled and enraged, and they demand that the tribe of Benjamin hand over the perpetrators. The tribe of Benjamin refuses. All Israel goes to war against one tribe and nearly annihilates them. Now, again, you have to stop and say, what is God doing? <laughs> He's reaching into the town of Gibeah and he calls out Saul. And I, th I think, I believe that God is doing a grace thing. He remembers deviant death and its consequences. And he sets out to restore a tribe that has been judged almost to death. That's so like him because he, he just loves to take a despised source to accomplish his will. <clears throat> and then lastly, um, in this in kind of last chapters, it talks about the fact that all Israel gathered up to Mizpah and they were all going to take an oath. And the oath was, none of us are going to give our daughters to any Benjamite, ever. Well, that's slow genocide. That says that tribe is either going to have to go marry Canaanites or otherites, or, whatever, or they will just simply not have children and they will fade away and be gone. And then they looked around before the oath and they went, hey, where are the guys from Jabesh Gilead? And they weren't there. No one had come up from this portion down, a portion of... Manasseh down on the Jordan, okay? And that enraged them, and they sent 12,000 warriors down the hill from Mizpah, down to the Jordan Valley, crossed it, and they went after this town, and they were tasked to kill every man and every wife, every husband and every wife, and they did. They saved 400 virgins, and that was it. Now, 100 years later, five generations plus, maybe six, I don't know, bunch of years later, we find that the inhabitants of this smaller Jabesh, I'm sorry, uh, Jabesh Gilead, 
uh, is under great threat from one of Israel's known enemies, the Ammonites, led by a man whose name means serpent. And when the people who are besieged cry out to their brother tribes for rescue, what happens? There's, there's a, a mustered army that comes swiftly to, um, to defend, it comes to, to, comes to their aid. See, and I think the Lord enjoys rebuilding what has been broken down. He's pleased to rejoin families and tribes under his leadership. And that's what he does. You know, it, 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 there's this thing going on. Saul's coronation, Saul's doing this, Saul's leading the art. There's this other line of activity that's going on. And so when you run into these kind of awful situations, you say, what is God doing that I can't see? Okay? Because he's obviously at work in it. Okay? And here, he is committed to the crushing the head of the serpent a thousand years before Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. God of Israel, God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you are a redeeming God. You're willing to work with our human conditions uh, to accomplish your will. Uh, on this lesson, Lord, we get to see how Saul, how Saul starts, and he starts well. But that's kind of not the point, Lord. The question is, how do you finish? And Lord, we're sort of like Saul in many ways. We, we've started well. Now, Lord, we want to be those who, uh, who finish our walk with you in obedience, in humility, in adoration, in joy. Lord, please keep using these passages in the Old Testament to teach us how to walk with you and look for what you're doing. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.